Well, Joshua chapter 3 and 4. Now, we do need to be saved, don't we? We need to be saved. When we look at the world around us, when we look at the injustice around us, don't we think, Lord, save us? When we look at the sadness in our world, don't we think, Lord, save us? When we look at the darkness in our hearts, don't we think, Lord, save us? When we look at our failure, the way we hurt others, I'm sure the cry of our heart is, Lord, save us. We need to be saved. And at the heart of the message of the Bible is this, that God has done something to save us, that he sent his son Jesus to rescue us. Jesus, that name means the Lord saves. And the good news of Jesus is all the way through the Bible. And the chapters that we're looking at this morning is all about God saving and God rescuing. And however long that you've been a Christian, whether it's a few months or a few decades, or whether you're just wondering about these things and trying to find out if it's true or not, we need to hear the gospel, the good news that God saves. Now, when we come to Joshua, you might think, well, okay, if we need to hear the good news of Jesus, why are we in the book of Joshua? Well, something we need to remember all the way through the Bible, isn't it, as we read in the Bible together, is that it always points us and tells us about Jesus. Jesus himself told us this. Remember the road to Emmaus? What did he show them? That all the scriptures spoke of him. So we're going to see him. We're we're going to encounter him. We're going to see uh, pictures of him. We're going to see prophecies of him. Uh, all the way through the Bible. And when we come to the book of Joshua, you know what the name Joshua means? The Lord saves. Another translation of the name is Jesus. So they have the same name, Joshua and Jesus. It's the same name. And listen to the setup of the book. As we look at this book, uh, we're going to see, uh, remember what's been happening. Israel have been set free from Egypt. They've been set free from the tyrants that held them. And they've been wandering through the wilderness. They're about to cross the river to take them into the promised land. The land that God has promised them where they would dwell, where would be their home. They would defeat the enemies. And who's going to take them uh, from, uh, and finish this job of taking them from slavery into this land that God has promised them? It's Joshua. Jesus. So we're going to see here a prophecy. A promise of what Jesus is going to do to help us see how God saves. So this is a prophecy, really, of another Jesus who's going to be born 1,400 years later. So as we ask the question, what do we learn about salvation in these chapters? It's going to be something we need to hear. Now, again, please, if you're a Christian and you're here and think, well, I know the good news of Jesus, we never move on from it. We only need to go deeper into it. So let's pray that God would help us to see. And if you're just interested in these things and trying to find out if this is true or there's something that makes you think, I think this is true, then again, this is going to help us this morning to understand. So what do we learn about salvation in these chapters? Well, four things we look at this morning. The first is the problem of salvation. Forty years the Israelites have been wandering, and they've been waiting to go to this promised land. Forty years. And Moses, their great leader, has just died. He's the one who led them out. And Joshua has now uh, stepped into those shoes, or sandals, as I said earlier, and he's about to take them into God's promised land. But there's a problem. What's the problem? What's stopping them from getting into the land that God has promised? It's the river Jordan. There's this big river that they couldn't get through. 
So here was this land over the river, a land flowing with milk and honey, God said, which is another way of saying it's a land fit for royalty. And it's where you will dwell. And here is this river. And not only is it a big river, but chapter 3, verse 15 tells us an interesting point about this river. It tells us that the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. So this is the worst time of year for them to try and cross this river. The worst time of year. Why does, does Joshua, why do we get that detail here? You know, another thing we need to know is the Jordan Valley that they were going to go through between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea was a, was a wide valley, but it was also full of tangled bush and growth. It was like a jungle to get even down to the river. So they had to get through this jungle and get through this overflowing river, and it was just an impossible situation. But that's the very point. The river was a mile wide itself where they were crossing it. It would have been as 12 foot deep in places, and it was surrounded by this jungle growth, the worst time of year to do it, what is going on? Why now? Why didn't they wait? Or why didn't they pick another river? Or why... What's going on? Why did God seem to pick this time to do it? It seems even more impossible now. Well, it's a bit like, you know, you remember Houdini, or, you know, or you've read about or seen films about Houdini. He was an escape artist. And what Houdini, Houdini would do, would he would... Um, escape from situations that seemed hard and he would build it up wouldn't he it would kind of be right put these handcuffs on so he'd put these handcuffs on then he said now tie me in chains so they'd tie him in chains now put me in a sack so they put him in a sack now put a weight around me and they put a weight around him now put me in a locked case then put chains around the case and another lock you know and those kind of things it was just build up build up build up it was getting harder and harder and harder the tension would build so you think what is going on here one thing after another showing how hard it was going to be for him to get out of the sticky situation. By choosing this time, by choosing this situation, God was showing the only way you're going to cross this river, the only way you're going to get to the promised land is if I do it for you. I have to save you. I'm the only one who can do it. No amount of clever planning, no amount of strong effort, only God could do it. And you see what that's telling us? The promised land isn't just for strong swimmers. It's not just for those adventurers who are physically strong. It was impossible for everybody without God intervening. Can you imagine if it was just for those who had strong kind of swimming skills or those who were adventurers? You know, that would mean that those who were strong enough got to the other side and they were proud of their achievement. I did it. And those who were physically weak, they were left the other side, no hope, crushed. When it comes to our salvation, to understand the greatness of the news of Jesus Christ... We have to see some bad news first. We can't save ourselves. We just can't do it. We are not good enough. Uh, we cannot reach God's standards. We have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory, as God's word tells us. And even though that sounds harsh at first, and it goes against the grain of, of um, what we want to hear in our culture at the moment, it makes sense of our lives, doesn't it? Why is it that no amount of politics have sorted out our problems? No amount of money poured into situations sorts it out. No amount of education. We still end up in the same situation in a mess. Why is it that however hard we try, we can't keep those resolutions or those things that we determine to do? Why is it that we keep upsetting those we love? Why is it that we keep getting into messes because the Bible says we've fallen short, we've sinned? We all have. We're all in the same boat. We're all equal. From the top of society right down to the bottom, we're all there. We can't save ourselves. We can't do it. 
God must save. If our salvation was based on our works and what we did, can you imagine? We'd be up and down. We'd be like yo-yos, wouldn't we? One day we'd be thinking, oh, I've got hope today. I've done all right. The next day we'd be crushed. Or one day we'd be doing all right and we'd look down on other people who maybe weren't. And the other day we'd feel crushed and we'd just look up at these people who are and feel, again, just so despondent. But God's word tells us we can't save ourselves, only God can. And when we realize that, there is liberty there. Because we can't do it, God has done it, and we need to trust in him. And do you see what that means? If you're not a Christian this morning, do you see what that means? Maybe you're thinking, oh, I can't become a Christian, I'm not good enough. Or I couldn't keep it up. Or oh, I, I, I haven't done enough good things. Well, join the club, that's the point, we can't do it. We can't keep it up because God saves, it's down to him, and he's the one we have to trust in. There's a problem of salvation we need to see before understanding this great news. But secondly, let's have a look at the provision of salvation. The provision of salvation. How does God do the saving? Well, as, you, as we heard that passage read through earlier, I wonder if you noticed that there's a few things that were being emphasized. One of the things being emphasized was the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant, um, just to remind you what it is, it is a wooden box covered in gold. On the top of this box were cherubim that had wings covering across, and the idea was that this was a sign of the presence of God. In this box were the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna from the wilderness, and Aaron's budding branch. But the idea of this kind of ark was that it was the throne of God. This is where God sat, as it were. The angel of the Lord sat on the throne. So in the, temp in the tabernacle, the ark of the covenant sat. And that was a sign to God's people, God is here. God is with us. So whenever they saw the Ark of the Covenant, they thought, wow, God is with us. And he wants to be with us. But access was limited. Now, the instructions had been given. Take the Ark, the presence of God, into the river. And when you stand in the water, the water's going to stop. And people will have to stand at a great distance, we're told, half a mile. Make them stand back so that they can see what's going on. And then if you come to chapter 3, verse 14, look what happens. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as the bearing, uh, those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks through the harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. Can you imagine it? This raging torrent, as soon as their feet went in the water, it stopped. The ark was taken in, the presence of God was in that river, and there it stopped. What a breathtaking scene it would have been. What an amazing thing to experience. And there they were, uh, just watching God do the work. The water stopped. So the ark was one thing that's emphasized. Another thing that's emphasized we see here is Joshua. And Joshua being exalted. It's a strange thing, but look at chapter 3, verse 7. Look what God says he's going to do through this. Today, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so they may know that as I was with Moses, so I was with you. Or chapter 4, verse 14. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses. Now, what's going on here? Why is that important to have the ark and, and to have Joshua exalted? Well, we need to just track back a little to remember where we've met Joshua before. 
Now, do you remember the story in Numbers where um, Moses sent the spies into the Promised Land, into Canaan, as it were? He sent them in to have a look. And what happened? Well, 12 men went to spy in Canaan. 10 were bad, two were good. That's the children's song to help us remember. And the two, 10 came back and they said, 10 of the spies, no way. The people in there are huge and we're just like grasshoppers. They, they'll crush us. But Joshua and Caleb said, hang on, God's with us. We can do this. And the people just said, no way. We're not going to, we're going to listen to the 10, not the two. And they were just really discouraged. And they said to Moses, Moses, why have you brought us here? We're going to die. They're going to kill us. We've got no chance. And then Joshua stood up again and he said, God, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, we can do this. God is with us. And do you know what the people did? They picked up stones ready to stone Joshua. They, he was humiliated before them. They wanted nothing to do with him. They were ready to kill him. But this day, the humiliated servant of God is now exalted. The one who everybody looked down on was now, wow, this is Joshua. Look what he's doing. So do you see, when we put these things together, we're starting to see how does God save? How does he rescue? Here we have it, the problem, the river. The presence of God, as it were, steps into the problem and uses Joshua. Remember what his name is? Jesus. The one who was humiliated but now is exalted. Uses him to take them through to the promised land. How does God save us? How does God help us with our sin and failure that stops us from uh, getting to be with God? Well, he came into this world. His presence came. His presence came in Jesus. Where did Jesus start his ministry off? Do you remember? He was baptized, wasn't he? By John the Baptist. In which river? In the River Jordan here. <laughs> he was baptized and there his ministry started. Jesus went forth and he went and he went to the cross. And there he was humiliated. There people um, mocked him and ignored him. But then three days later, he was exalted. The servant exalted, victorious to save. See, when we look at this, we're starting to see, right, we have the problem of salvation. The river's getting in the way. God only can save. How does God save? He saves through his presence and his servant, the exalted one. There's an interesting little detail that I hadn't noticed before in chapter 16, when the commentators pointed out. And look how loaded this is to kind of help us to see. Where was the water coming from that was blocking their access to the promised land? It's from a place called Adam. So from Adam flowed this river blocking them access to God. Now, I think that is something to tell us there. We should be thinking, hang on a minute. Adam, the first man who sinned, because of his sin, uh, there was blocked access to back to the uh, Garden of Eden, wasn't there? And so we couldn't get back unless God intervened. So here we have it. Jesus making a way, stopping the, the problem that Adam caused to go through. God provides the way to be saved. He's done it all. So the problem of salvation, the, the provision of salvation. And God says, this is the way. So what's the path of salvation? What does it look like to carry on in this salvation? Or did you notice something that they were told to do as they passed through the water? They were told to do with something, weren't they? God commands them to pick up 12 stones. Verse, chapter 4, verse 2. Take 12 men from the people, each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight 
So they were to pick up 12 stones, 12 stones where the priests were from the middle of the Jordan. And why were they to do that? Look at chapter 4, verse 6. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in their time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you will tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Uh, when it passed over the Jordan, the, jo- Jordan uh, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. You see what they would, why they were given these stones? So that they wouldn't forget. So that they would remember. Now, you can imagine, can't you, at the time this happened. Just imagine again that raging river, the fastest it is all, at any time of year. And then it stood up in a pile, just like they'd heard it happened um, to their forefathers when they came out of the Red Sea in Egypt. And it was happening again. And they were saying, wow, it's real. God can do this. Look how powerful he is. Look how great he is. God is with us. He is for us. And look how he's used Joshua. And, uh, and that's amazing. And they must have been thinking, I will never forget this in all of my life. But we know years down the line they do forget it. But God knew they would forget, which is why he commanded the stones. He said, pick them up, make sure you do that. So he makes sure they do something to remember the mercy and the goodness and the greatness of God. Pick up those stones, pile them up, and whenever you see them, it's a reminder of what I've done, how powerful I am, how much I've loved you, there it is. You know, it's merciful, isn't it, of God to know and to remember people will forget. So we put something in place, something they can touch, something they can feel, something they can see to remind them of what he's done. You know, this morning, God knows that we will forget the good news of the gospel. He knows that we will take our eyes off his greatness. He knows that we will forget that he loves us. Now, maybe you can think back to the time you first believed, how real everything seemed, how amazing the news was, how much you wanted to tell everybody, how willing you were to do anything for Jesus. And then the years go by and we just get lukewarm, we forget. Or maybe you can remember a time where God was near in your life, where you were going through a particular tough time and you thought, I will never forget how God's helped me. I'll never forget how he draws near. I'll never doubt him again. But then what happens? The months and the years pass and we forget, don't we? A tough time comes and we wonder, God, what are you doing? Do you love me? Do you care? Are you for me? And we forget. Notice God's mercy here. He knows the weakness of his people. And so he commands them to get the stones. And as I said, something to look at, something to touch, something to feel. This is real. It happened. God loves us. God helped us. God is powerful. You know, God knows that we can forget something as good, as powerful, as great as the gospel. He knows we can forget it. So he gives us something, doesn't he? What does he give us? Well, he gives us the Lord's Supper. He gives us something we can touch and feel and taste that will remind us Jesus died, Jesus rose, he loves me, he is for me. He's given us things that we can do. And that's why we can look forward to next Sunday having communion you know it'll be a bit different to normal but we'll be able to do it and and to be able to remember again what god has done for us what else has he given us to help us to remember the gospel what is it in your life that brings these realities to to life now there will be things in 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 church that help us being here um, and reading god's word together but what else is there that you need to remember to do Maybe it's, you know, when you sing, it just brings truth to your heart. 
but make time to sing. Maybe it's when you spend time reading a good Christian book and you think, that is something that really helps me. Well, make time to do it. Switch the TV off and do that. Maybe it's um, talking to other people who you know encourage you. Well, make sure you carve out time to do that. It's harder at the moment, I know, but we can still do it, can't we? What is it that encourages you, that helps you to keep going, that helps you to be thrilled in the gospel, to remember then we need to make place in our life to do that. And it's going to be different for each one of us, what that is. Although I'm sure similar in many ways. So God does give us means that he does help through, isn't it? Like communion and like being together, praying together as a church. So we need to make sure we're doing that. But as well, what else is there? Because that's the path of salvation. We don't forget this. We need to keep remembering it. We need to keep reminding each other of the good news of salvation. So we've looked at the problem We've looked at the provision. We've looked at the path. The last thing is this. Let's look at the promise of salvation. As I said at the start, sometimes we can think, oh, I know the gospel. I've heard the good news. You know, I don't need to hear it again. But we need to remember it every day. There are truths in the gospel that we need to preach to ourselves. And when we do that, it'll help us. And we see a few examples of this in this passage. Look at the first one. It's in chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, In chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you these other people, the enemies. This is how you know God's going to help you in the future, because he's helped you now. You see what that helps us with? When you face a situation in the future that you think is impossible, when you think this is too big, the enemies are too strong, we can't do this. Look back to the Jordan. Look back to the stones. Look back to this time, because then you will remember God is with us, he's for us, he did it then, he can do it now. And isn't that something for us? Think of what we've got. Romans 8.32 sums this up brilliantly. It says, he who did not spare his own son, uh, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things that we need? If God the Father could give us his precious son, Jesus, the hardest thing of all, how can he not give you whatever we need to keep going? That's the the logic of the argument there. If he could give his dearest son whatever you're lacking, he can help with. Do you think this morning God's given up on you? Do you think there is no way he can help me now? Not with this. Look at Jesus. He's given the hardest thing. He's given the hardest, so everything else in comparison is easy. Maybe you're doubting God's goodness today. Maybe you think he's given up on you. Maybe you think there is no way that God loves me. Look to Jesus this morning. There's the confirmation of the promise. There's the way that says he is for us. So this shows that God will help us as we go forward. But as well, it's interesting to note in in verse 19, we're told the date that this happened of chapter 4. Uh, we didn't read this bit, but listen to what it said. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east of the border of Jericho. Now, what does that date? Why are we told the date? It's interesting. That is the date we find in Exodus 12. In Exodus 12 was the, the start of the Passover. So it was the start of when they were um, going to go out of Egypt. It was the day that they chose the lamb uh, that was going to be the lamb for the Passover. So it's the start of that last Uh, amazing uh, miracle that God did so that they could be set free. So on the same day that they started to think we're going to be set free, 
God brought them through to the other side. The God who started that work off 40 years earlier is now bringing them through and finishing the job off. It tells us, doesn't it, God doesn't do half jobs. He's kept his promise. And because he kept it there and he did it then, he can do it today. And isn't that true for us? When we think of um, the promises that God gives us, as Paul tells us in Philippians 1, I'm sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion. Often we can think, there's no way I can keep going. You know, how can I keep going with all of this that's going on? How can I do it? We see that God has started a work and he doesn't do half jobs. He finishes the work. And we need to keep looking up, don't we? Keep looking to Jesus. Think of um, Peter. Remember when he went to walk on the water and Jesus called him out. And he was walking on the water. There he was looking at Jesus, walking. And then suddenly, what does the Bible tell us? Then he saw the waves. And he looked at the waves and he started to sink. We look to Jesus. He can keep us going. He can hold us fast, isn't it? Not, not our hold on him, but his hold on us. We will be unfaithful, yes, but he will never be unfaithful. We will fail, but he will never let us down. He will take us through. When we look at our salvation, when we look at the gospel, these are truths we need to hear. Here's a God who says, I've done it then, I can do it now. Here's a God who says, I've started that work, I will bring it through to completion. Here's a God who says, I won't leave you, I will always be with you, I will never let you down. Here's a God who says all of those things, and we can trust him because that that's what we find in the gospel, that's what we find in salvation. We never move on, we only move deeper into it and, and just appreciate just the depth and the richness of this good news. So we need to be saved, don't we? We need salvation. Now this morning, where are you turning for your salvation? If you're not a Christian, where are you turning? We can't save ourselves. We need Jesus. Turn to him this morning, the one who died in your place, the one who gave his life so you could be forgiven. Trust in him. And if you are a Christian, let's just keep thinking of how we can remind ourselves of these truths, living um, in the wonderful light and the freedom that the gospel brings, that Jesus says, look, I gave myself for you then. I'm going to do everything you need, give you, give you everything you need until you get to the promised land, until you get to glory. And maybe this morning as we kind of in the middle of this pandemic and we end up thinking a lot about our mortality. You know, the Bible says the Jordan is a picture of, of death. And they've stood on the banks of the Jordan and they feared uh, how were they going to get through. And then Joshua is the one that helped them, isn't it? Through God's power. If we fear death, if we fear Jordan, who can help us? Well, as we saw Easter time, it's Jesus, isn't it? Jesus, the one who goes first and says, follow me, I will take you through. That's why the hymn that we're going to sing to finish is um, the one that tells the story of the wilderness of the Israelites. It's very famous in Wales because we sing it in the rugby, but it's a, such a rich song. You know, when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction. You know, that's what's happened and, and, and takes me over to Canaan's side. That's the thing that'll help us. So we, we need to remember this truth. Uh, let it go deep into our souls and live in the light of the salvation. Let me pray before we uh, sing that hymn, or not sing, listen to that hymn, sung together. Let's pray. We do thank you, our Lord, for the good news of Jesus good news that is always relevant, 
good news that we always need to hear. Help us, Lord, please, uh, never to forget the greatness of Jesus. We pray that if this morning we're feeling lukewarm, if we've forgotten these truths, would you take us back? Would you help us? Would you renew um, those, that the joy of our salvation, we pray? And Lord, help us to see what Jesus did for us. And would that be an encouragement and a strength to us today? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.